Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have a lot to talk about because this is a big week in the world of mixed martial arts. We have the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, Alexander Volkanovsky, against the number two pound-for-pound fighter in Islam Makhachev, who, hey, in a week from now might be the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. Stakes are high in this one. We've got the lightweight championship on the line in Perth, Australia, UFC 284. I'm really excited for this one because it's a rare instance I can't think of the last time, aside from maybe BJ Penn versus GSP, where you're seeing the number one and number two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport, at least those that are considered that, facing one another. And I mean, I I can't remember exactly what the landscape was like during GSP and Penn, but I feel like they were at the time considered to be probably the the top two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. I believe it was a time where featherweight and bantamweight hadn't even been introduced yet. So those were the two lightest weight classes in the UFC. I'd have to go back and double-check that, but... I'm fairly certain that's the case. So it's been a long time. It's been a hot minute <laughs> since we've seen the top two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport go toe-to-toe. And, the, you know, I know Islam Makhachev has talked about how the promotion for this fight might not have been as good as it could have been. And perhaps that's the case. I, I don't really know. I, again, Dana White's come out and said the numbers look like they're going to be pretty good regardless. But I do think a bigger deal needs to be made of this. I mean, we've got the number one and number two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport facing each other. It's just a very rare instance to see that happen. And speaking of which, they're both going to join me later on on the show. So make sure if you're listening on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa, you might have to download the podcast to hear it. But very excited to speak with, hey, not often you get the top two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport on the same show. And uh, very excited to speak to them. And if I say top pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, is that accurate? I mean, we're looking at pound-for-pound rankings in the UFC, but I, I think if you were to take the entire mixed martial arts landscape and get people to vote on it, I, I'm pretty certain that these would be the top two in the sport as a whole. I, you know, I don't think it's disrespectful to say the top two pound-for-pound fighters in the sport when you talk about Alexander Volkanovsky and Islam Makhachev. I, I think that we're talking about right now the two pound-for-pound best uh, fighters in the sport. I think Volkanovski, since coming to the UFC, has just continued to turn heads and exceed expectations, beating Max Holloway three times. I mean, Max Holloway is a top pound-for-pound fighter. I mean, if you were to look at the featherweight division, like, who do you think has the best shot of beating Max Holloway outside of Volkanovski? Like, there's not a whole lot of options here. He hasn't lost to anybody not named Volkanovski in, like, eight to ten years if I'm not mistaken like a long time since Max Holloway I guess at 145 pounds he lost to Poirier at 55 but at 145 pounds I'm not sure we've seen him lose to anybody not named Alexander Volkanovsky in quite some time so you know I consider it and you look at how strong that division is like Max Holloway to me is still probably a top 10 top 15 pound for pound fighter in the sport and Volkanovsky beat him three times I mean just speaks volumes about how good this guy is and now you look at Makhachev. He has the one loss to Adriano Martins early on in his career. Uh, lost a first-round knockout in that situation. And since then, he's basically been a flawless fighter. It's hard to find holes in his game, hard to find mistakes that he's made in any of his fights. I mean, this guy is just the total package in terms of being a solid striker, but really an elite grappler, just a, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal grappler who's always looking to finish. I mean, this isn't the guy that smothers people for five rounds necessarily. I mean, this happened before, but this is a guy who's very creative on the ground. 
And I think it's going to be a very, very interesting stylistic matchup for that reason. You got, again, Volkanovski, who's so durable, so versatile, uh, strong volume striker against the guy who doesn't take a whole lot of risks and is always good at finding his best winning conditions under any circumstance. So two kind of opposites in that standpoint, uh, from that standpoint, rather, where you look at somebody who's got great volume, solid defense, you know, has good takedowns as well against somebody who just does not make a lot of mistakes in Mahachev and, and also somebody who barely absorbs any strikes um, in his fights. It, he absorbed a career-high 19 significant strikes when he fought Oliveira in his last fight. I mean, it's pretty absurd to, to think about that. I looked back at the last six. Volkanovski, I believe, has landed 960 significant strikes in his last six, whereas Mahachev has absorbed like 61 or something along those lines. It's just it's a crazy, crazy dynamic between these two fighters. So really excited to see them go toe-to-toe. And I think it's something that we should really celebrate because it's rare to see best versus best. And not just best versus best in a single division, but best versus best in the sport. That's what makes it so special, right? We've seen the champion face the number one contender on many, many occasions in MMA. But to see the number one pound-for-pound against the number two pound-for-pound, like, when's the next time we could see this? When are we... Are, are we certain we're going to see two fighters that are in what kind of parallel weight classes where you can make this happen again, right? So I think that we really need to embrace this particular situation. And um, really, I think this is a, a, a phenomenal fight. And I really have no idea how it's going to go either. I know obviously the odds are, you know, swayed much in the direction of Mahachev. And I think that's probably the right idea like I think that they should be he should be the odds on favorite but man to see Volkanovski as a three to one underdog it's just we'll never see it again like this is it this is a going out of business sale (laughs) this is you know one time only you're not going to see Volkanovski that big of an underdog ever again like unless he's fighting to like be when he's like 45 46 years old like I don't think we're going to see Volkanovski as a, a more than a three to one or three to one area code ballpark underdog ever again and Mahachev I imagine from here is just going to be an even bigger favorite if he wins this fight who in the lightweight division is there that he'd be less than this much of a favorite against right now you have to see some people kind of ascend before we even get into that conversation so eager to see how this one plays out because it could end in the first round could be you know Makhachev takes Volkanovski down. Volkanovski is unable to resist um, the, the takedown and, and the top control of Makhachev, and he gets locked up in a sub and loses. It could go to a decision where Makhachev takes Volkanovski down and controls the fight. It could be Volkanovski scoring a first-round knockout, catching Islam coming in. It could be a five-round decision for Volkanovski, who's able, able to elude the takedown and keep the fight on his feet, get in and out, land volume. There's just so many different outcomes that are possible in this fight. It's like, if somebody asks me who to bet on in this, like, the only bet that I am going to actually recommend this week is, like, fight starts round three. I, like, I think that's, it's like minus 180. You could parlay that, and I think that that's a relatively safe play. But again, it's a, it's a very volatile fight because this is the fight game, and when you've got best versus best, you know, oftentimes you don't see it as a lopsided fight when it happens, but who knows, right? So... I just can't wait to see how it plays out. I'm, I'm excited. Really as excited as I've ever been to see the outcome of, of 
a fight. Like, I get excited for bouts like Gaethje versus Oliveira because the, I know the excitement level is going to be through the roof. Like, we've got two action fighters. We know how that fight is going to play out, not in terms of what the result is, but in terms of how those guys are going to fight. So when you see a matchup like that, like, you just know it's going to be exciting. And those are awesome matchups. But a matchup like this where you've just got two elite, elite-level competitors who we really haven't seen show any sort of holes in their game in recent years going against each other. Like, it's about as close. Like, if you're looking at it from a video game perspective, it's like 99 versus 99, right? Like, these are the two best, and it's it could just play out in so many different ways, and I think that's what makes this such a special fight. Because we, you know, if if somebody thinks that they have a really good prediction for this, Maybe they do. Maybe it plays out that way. But would you be surprised in any scenario here? I wouldn't be surprised if Volkanovski won. I know he's a big underdog, but we're talking about a guy who every time people have, you know, dismissed him or have said that he's going to lose a fight or have said he's not good enough to do blank, he's always risen to the occasion. He's fighting in Australia, right? Like there are so many things going. And you look at Makhachev and he's looked so dominant, but... The level of competition for him has not been consistently great. If you look at the last two years or four years, I think it is, of Volkanovski, you're talking Chad Mendes, you're talking Aldo, you're talking three Max Holloway fights, Ortega, Korean Zombie. Like, we're talking about the best of the best guys consistently for Volkanovski. And if you look at Makhachev, we're talking about like Bobby Green. You know, we're talking, of course, he beat Charles Oliveira, great win. We're talking about Dan, Dan Hooker. Like, these aren't the top guys at 155 pounds. We're not talking about Dustin Poirier. We're not talking about Gaethje. Not to say he wouldn't beat them. He'd be big favorites over those guys, too. But we're not talking about Fiziev. We're not talking about Gamrot. We're not talking about Benil Dariush. We haven't seen the resume on Makhachev like we've seen on Volkanovski. And does that mean that he's not as good as we think he is? Absolutely not. I think he's shown... Again, we haven't barely seen him make any errors in his UFC career. We've barely seen him main, you know, take any damage. We've barely seen him be in any sort of trouble, save for that one loss. I mean, the guy has been as good as it gets the last couple of years. But that's what makes it so much fun. And that's why this is the kind of fight that we really need to embrace. Because I think the one thing that Islam Makhachev said about the promotion is, you know, whether or not it's accurate, it doesn't feel like this fight is getting enough credit for how big it is. And I'm not even sure if you can build it up that big. But, you you know, obviously you try to. But top, number one versus number two, pound for pound, this is going to be something special. And I'll get off my soapbox in terms of talking about this matchup because I can go on for days about how awesome I think it is. Um, and I, I I wish it got more fanfare. I hope it does do well. I hope that a lot of people do watch it because the day before... The Super Bowl, where the two best teams in each respective conference face each other, we get a best versus best matchup in MMA. Like this is a weekend of high-level competition ahead of us, and I, I that that should stoke the flames of every mixed martial arts or sports fan really out there. So let's see how this one goes. But one week from today, we'll have the answers, and that's the part about mixed martial arts that I love. Is like right now we don't have the answers, but we get to see it play out in real time. And, uh, you know, as much as you want to break things down and you want to say, oh, this is how I think this fight's going to play out, this is one of those ones where I just kind of want to sit back and see how it unfolds because I I think that, honestly, 
it can play out in a bunch of different ways. But we'll talk about the matchup itself a little bit later on. We'll talk about the UFC 284 card as a whole, the betting lines, etc. a little bit later on in the show. For now, let's recap this past weekend. There's not a whole lot to talk about at length, but uh, we'll start off with UFC Fight Night. Sergey Spivak just tosses Derek Lewis around like a ragdoll. I was thoroughly impressed by Sergey Spivak's performance because Lewis did a great job of getting up, as he always does, but Sergey Spivak was not letting go of that grip. And we've seen Lewis get up, but his inability to break the holds that Spivak had and the grip that Spivak had shows how strong this guy must be. And still a guy who's entering his prime years, still very young in terms of heavyweight, like Sergey Spivak's got a bright future ahead of him. And I can't wait to see how it goes. Now, as for Derek Lewis, people are writing him off and saying he's done. And he probably is done from a championship standpoint, but you have to at least say that Derek Lewis can still be in fun fights. Like, let's pull up these UFC rankings for a second because I want, I want to take a look and see if we can match Derek Lewis up for some exciting fights going forward. Like, what, what would be a fight that would get you excited? I mean, Blagoy Ivanov versus Derek Lewis is kind of a... I mean, I don't want to rip Blagoy, but he fought on this card and he just... Uh, he's not really the most exciting fighter. We can just put it that way. Uh, Jelton Almeida against Derek Lewis. I mean, Jelton Almeida would probably be a minus 600 favorite against them. Kind of Alexander Romanov probably too. I mean, the, the the heavyweight division is starting to really add quality. But how about Lewis versus Rosenstreich? Uh, that would be a fun fight. Lewis versus Volkov too. You could probably make that fight depending on how Volkov's next fight goes. We, uh, we saw Lewis versus Dawkins already, but that would be another one you could probably run back if you, if you wanted to. Lewis versus Marcin Tybura. And then you look at a lot of these up-and-coming heavyweights. I think that you, there's certainly room for Derek Lewis to fight guys like that that are coming up. I mean, Derek Lewis is still a guy who I think they can rely on to headline fight night cards. You might think he's past his prime, but I think at the same time, people like Derek Lewis. They like to hear from Derek Lewis. They like to watch him compete. But man, I just hated seeing the look on his face after that loss to Sergei Spivak. He was just sullen. He looked like he was going to go to the back and just cry afterwards. And I, you know, Derek Lewis doesn't seem like the crying type, but he just looked heartbroken. And I, I hate to see fighters with that look on their face after you know they've put so much into their camp. And Derek Lewis finally has gotten uh, improved quality of life with his back surgery. He's gotten into better shape. I mean, not quite the, uh, everybody's saying, oh, he's moving down to 205 to face Jamal Hill. Look how svelte he looks. And then, like, 36 hours later, he steps on the scale of 265. You may not want to just uh, look at photography and judge based on that. I don't think Derek was moving down to 205 in this lifetime. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Sergey Spivak, lots of exciting matchups for him, too. You look at the rankings, you go up and down. Spivak now ranked number eight. He's moved up four spots. You could put him against... Tied to Ivasa next. I think that would be a great matchup. Um, but that's probably about the ceiling for him right now. Tied to Ivasa is ranked five. And then everybody else on down, I think, are all good matchups. Hey, if you want to do something fun, do Spivak versus JL10 Almeida. Put Almeida against somebody who actually knows how to grapple at heavyweight and see how it goes. Because I think JL10 Almeida has done a great job of bullying a lot of people that have suspect takedown defense. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Sergey Spivak's takedown defense is like, but his takedown attacks are certainly very good. So you'd like to think that he'd be able to stuff takedowns. And I think Jailton Almeida, I mean, he's at an age right now where I think you just, 
I said he could fight a top five guy. Look, I would not have a problem seeing Jelton Almeida against Tai Tuivasa next and just get him moving right up the ladder, see where he where he falls, see see what you what he's able to knock down that you put in front of him because Tai Tuivasa certainly isn't a pushover. But uh, yeah, I I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the heavyweight division for the first time in a while. Not to mention that John Jones is entering the heavyweight division in just a few weeks' time. So we've got a lot of excitement ahead of us in the heavyweight division. And I think that Sergey Spivak showed us why. We've got guys entering their prime that are just really, really good. Uh, co-main event, Devin Clark defeats Da Eun-jung by unanimous decision. This is the first time his dad wasn't in this corner. We talked about it last week. And uh, his dad was there in the, uh, in the apex yelling. You could hear him faintly. Unfortunately, not as well as you could when he was mic'd up uh, in the corner. But uh, Devin, great performance by him. He's a pretty sizable underdog and really, you know, won all three rounds. Looked great. Got to hand it to him. Uh, we talked about Marcin Tybura and Blagoy Ivanov uh, earlier. Ivanov, I think, probably won that first round, but uh, Tybura was able to, to flip the script in rounds two and three and uh, get the unanimous decision win. You know, this was a fight where it was the odds were pretty high that it was going to go to a decision. And I think Blagoy Ivanov has had like seven straight fights go to decision in the UFC. I think all of his UFC fights have gone to a decision. It's pretty uh, remarkable for a heavyweight. Uh, Duho Choi, Kyle Nelson fights to a majority draw. Duho Choi was deducted a point in the final round of this fight. Now, a lot of people didn't like this, including UFC President Dana White. They didn't like the point deduction, but let me explain why, or do my best, as somebody who's taken a refereeing course, let me do my best to explain why he was deducted the point. Because it was for a, cl- a clash of heads. But you see that when there's a clash of heads, usually you don't see a point deduction because it's an unintentional clash of heads. Now, if you are a referee and you're overseeing the action and you're looking down and you've got one fighter on top and one fighter on the bottom and there's a clash of heads, unless you're seeing the fighter on the bottom move their head up in a fast fashion, that's the top fighter, the fighter with top control, not managing his weapons properly. That's one of the things that the referee will talk to the fighters about is, is you know, minding their weapons, making sure you don't have your fingers pointed out, making sure that where you're kicking, you're not, you know, hitting your opponent low. In this situation, Duho Choi had top control his head went down and hit Kyle Nelson's head. The referee at that moment has to determine a couple things. And that's what Chris Tagnoni is tasked with in that moment. First off, you can take away position. That's like the probably the, the minimum that you do in that situation. Because I don't think you can continue to give him the position after something along those lines. You have to gauge intentionality. So it's not like this was left way where Duho Choi is throwing a headbutt. But at the same time, he is responsible for his weapons. So if he is moving his head down fast and his opponent is stationary and his head hits his opponent's head, that means he's not being careful with his weapons. So you have to keep take that into consideration if you're Chris Tagnoni. And then finally, you also have to gauge, if you're the referee, how much damage did that do? So if you look at the eyes of Kyle Nelson and they look a little bit foggy or you, you believe that there's some damage that will impact the outcome of the round. That's where you take away a point as well. So Chris Tagnoni basically had 
those options. He also looked at the replay. He wanted to run the replay back, if I'm not mistaken, in, the, in that situation. So he has a lot of time to determine what the best course of action is here. This wasn't the knee-jerk reaction from Cristagnoni. And that's why in these situations where a referee has the luxury of instant replay, they have the vantage point, they, they're as close to the fighter as they can be in this situation after the fact where you kind of gauge how much damage has been done. It's at the discretion of the official. And I think that for us to question whether or not it was the right call, I think we're ignoring a lot of factors that Chris Tognoni is not in that moment because he's solely focused on officiating the bout. He doesn't care who's up on the cards. He doesn't care who, you know, won rounds one and two or who has got momentum or anything along those lines. He's focusing strictly on the guidelines that he has learned as an official that he has to implement for every single bout. So when you see something like that go down, that's why a point is deducted. Now, in terms of it being a draw, this is another thing that was contentious because a lot of people thought that Duho Choi won this fight. And if you remove the point deduction, he does win this fight. It ends up being 30-27, um, 29-28, 29-28. You deduct the point, it becomes a majority draw. Rounds one and two for Kyle Nelson were not, like, let me put it this way. Rounds one and two were not slam dunk rounds for Duho Choi. Kyle Nelson did it enough in those rounds to make them close. And for the judges, I mean, look at the beginning of round two. Like, he rocked Duho Choi with by far the best shot of that round. And then the judges sitting cage side have to look at what Duho Choi has done in order to make up that ground as the round goes on. And they have to ultimately decide whether or not Duho Choi did enough to make up that ground. And the first round, there wasn't a whole lot that happened. Let me go and look at the stats. And the stats don't necessarily mean everything in a fight. But I just wanted to look at what happened in that fight so that we can gauge it. So Duho Choi has 2 minutes and 24 seconds of control in the first round. And throws one significant ground strike. That's how many ground strikes he attempted in round one. One significant strike. And overall in the round, he outlanded Nelson 3-1 to one in significant strikes. So we're talking around, about a round where not a whole lot happened. Kyle Nelson landed a takedown. Um, Duho Choi did have position in the round, but Nelson landed a takedown. I believe it was a pretty hard takedown. If I recall, that was where Lorisenko was talking about the damage from the takedown at the end of the round. I might be wrong on that. But that's an important thing to factor into that equation because you're basically gauging who won the round based on one takedown and the strength of that takedown, the damage that takedown does versus three significant strikes. And I believe that Nelson was also attempting a choke in that round, but I might, I might be getting my rounds confused. I mean, I'm recording the show on Thursday, on Wednesday rather, and this happened on Saturday late night. So I'm doing my best to recall what happened in this fight. And then in the second round, uh, Choi outlands Nelson 24 to 16. But as I mentioned, there was that one really big shot at the beginning of the round that kind of rocked Choi. And the judges have to take that into account too. So I'm not, I, I scored it for Choi. So don't, don't think that I'm coming here to make a defense of Kyle Nelson. What I'm trying to do is get people to think a little bit objectively about what the officials are looking at in these situations and what they're weighing 
when they're watching as opposed to watching it from the vantage point of being a viewer at home. That's the only uh, argument I, I'd like to make there. But uh, either way, majority draw. Uh, Adam Fugit defeats... Uh, Fugit, rather, defeats uh, Yusaku Kinoshida. Kinoshida looked good on the Contender Series, did not look good in this fight. Uh, Fugit looked like he did not want to let Kinoshida get out of the first round and did just that by landing vicious elbows in order to score the victory there. Then there was the Road to UFC finales. We had uh, India's Anshul Jubli defeating Jekka Seregi uh, from Indonesia. Uh, this was uh, really Jubli putting his grappling on display and Seregi not having really an answer for it. So congratulations to Anshul Jubli, who became the second Indian fighter to compete in the uh, Indian-born fighter, rather, to compete in the UFC. Uh, we had Lee Jong-young defeat uh, Zha Yi by split decision. And Lee afterwards, after he wins a split decision, where it was 30-27 on his opponent's scorecard for one judge, not saying that's the right scorecard, but very close fight, starts calling out all the best featherweight in the world. Well, aim for the, aim for the sky. Aim for the stars, my friend. But uh, eager to see what he's got next. I think it's very safe to say that the standout from Road to the UFC was Rinya Nakamura, known for being a wrestling, but a wrestler primarily, but just threw absolute bombs to put Toshiomi Kazama out 33 seconds into the first round. This guy has a brilliant future ahead of him. Keep the name Rinya Nakamura top of mind in the bantamweight division because this guy is going to be ranked one day. I have no doubts. Uh, Hyun Sung Park defeats uh, Sung Guk Choi by rear naked choke submission. This was a pretty close fight in the flyweight division. And then the first two fights of the night, you had uh, Jun Yong Park defeating Dennis Chalulin by rear naked choke and Tatsuro Taira, a phenomenal prospect, my prospect of the year last year, defeating Jesus Aguilar in the first round with an armbar triangle. Beautiful, beautifully, beautifully executed by Tyra who I just think has, I think he's 21 years of age. Another guy who you will see ranked. He might already be ranked. Is he ranked in the top 15 now? <laughs> I should go and take a look before I, before I comment on this and say that he'll be ranked one day. Let's see. Flyweight division. Not yet. But he's getting there. You could put him against any of those guys in the ranked 10 to 15, and I think we're going to see an interesting fight. But Tatsuro Tyra, phenomenal prospect. Looked great. And that's a UFC fight night, Lewis versus Bivak. And let's quickly look at Bellator 290, where Fedor Emelianenko had his retirement bout. And I'm a little bit hot and cold on... Well, first off, let me just be very clear. I love that they brought in the legends at the end and that they were there to honor the career of Fedor Emelianenko. But it's a risky thing to do. Because if Emelianenko gets, like, KO'd cold by Ryan Bader and needs to be transported to the hospital. You're going to have a guy that like doesn't have his wits about him walking around while people are shaking his hands. I'm not saying that's the case, but like you run that risk pretty hard. This was a big risk-reward proposition in general because you've got a guy in Fedor headlining on CBS with this massive opportunity at age 46 to walk away from MMA as the champion in Bellator, which is a massive deal if, you, if you're able to do that and prove that you're the best heavyweight in Bellator in your last fight. And then get your flowers after that as well with all of these legends. Then there's option two, which is you lose a fight. You don't get completely destroyed. And you kind of get to be part of the celebration, which is what I think happened here. 
And then there's the really bad option, the nuclear option, I guess, where Fedor gets knocked out cold, has to get stretchered out, and then you just have a bunch of legends standing around and you're watching this on CBS and it's problematic. So I think of the ways that this could have played out, this was the second best outcome. <laughs> like, you know, you know what? Maybe the third best because the second best probably would have been like a decision loss where he's still, you still know for a fact the guy's got his wits about him. But it seemed like Fedor was enjoying the moment. It was great to see all those legends in the cage at the same time. The alternative would have been, maybe you do a ceremony at like another card where one of his protégés, like Tokov, who fought uh, on this card, and um, or Nemkov, or um, what's the name of the guy at heavyweight uh, that Bader recently beat? Uh, Moldovsky. Like if one of those guys were fighting, then you have Fedor at the event. Then maybe you do a retirement ceremony. But I guess all the legends were going to be there anyways. They wanted to watch the fight, so... Hey, you do it there. I'm just saying, there are other ways that you could have done it where you're taking a little bit less of a risk. But I, I loved the moment. I thought it was great. I loved the photo uh, that you saw from that, that moment. And really, we do need a better way to honor the legends of the sport in broadcasts. I mean, I think the UFC, of course, they do their UFC Hall of Fame every year. They honor pioneers of the sport. Um, they have them at the events. But... And they have, of course, over the course of the year, they, you know, when somebody's being, you know, is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, they play those cool videos, the montages of their careers. Like, I think all of that is very cool. But, um, you know, Ariel Hawani has often talked about kind of an autonomous MMA Hall of Fame. Like, I think that would be a good idea. But that still doesn't really resolve the issue of fighters not being honored properly in broadcast. Um, and I thought that Bellator did a really good job there. And I think that a lot of the Japanese promotions really value that as well. They value pageantry. And I think that the UFC have done a really good job of putting out a very glossy product. And what I mean by that is, like, it, it's very formulaic. You know what you're going to get. It doesn't really go off script. And I think that can be a good thing. And that's what makes it, you know, fit more into the cookie-cutter sports box as opposed to, being more of a combat sports environment where it's a little bit more of a free-for-all. I think that they really try to limit the amount of spontaneity in their broadcasts. And I think that can make it very vanilla, but it's also a way where you can control what's going on. You, you have a more controlled environment. So I think that's kind of why they've stayed away from this sort of thing. And I'm not saying it's the right answer. I'm just kind of explaining why it's happened that way. But I do think that this past Saturday, one of the issues with Saturday was like, it was difficult to close the show. It was hard to find a way to close that show. And I guess if you were in attendance, there were more fights afterwards, which is kind of weird. But I thought they did a great job overall in terms of how they were able to, to do it. Um, I think Ariel's suggestion was to have the kind of legendary fighters out on the ramp, I guess, when Fedor walked down. I think that does add a little bit of extra pressure to the situation, though. So I can understand why they didn't do that as well. There's always two sides of the story. I mean, if they would have done that, it would have been a beautiful thing to see, too. But I don't necessarily know if that was the best outcome and if that is the right thing to do in that situation. But what's right, what's wrong? Who knows? You try things, you throw things at the wall. I think they threw this idea at the wall, and it went over very well. I think that a lot of people enjoyed seeing all these legends of the game all together. And uh, the middleweight championship was defended masterfully.
by Johnny Eblen, who still has not yet lost a round officially in Bellator. He wins, and I'll explain what I mean by that after I say that he won 50-45, 49-46, 49-46. Those two 49-46 scorecards had Tokov winning different rounds. So as long as you win two out of three rounds on a judge's scorecard, you win that round. So Eblen has still not yet lost a round in his Bellator tenure. I mean, this guy is looking great. But let's be very clear about something here. And I'm not saying this to take anything away from Johnny Eblen. Bellator's middleweight division has historically been their weakest division. And you even look at the PFL. They eliminated the, the middleweight division after the first season, after Lewis Taylor won. Middleweight does not have a dearth of talent overall when you look at that division. So Eblen is beating a lot of guys that... Yeah, I mean, Tokov is a really great fighter and has a really good... I talked about it last week. I think he's won, what, like 22 in a row up until that point has, has been on, a, on an absolute roll. But is Eblen beating fighters that are the same quality as the ones that we've seen Israel Adesanya beat during his title run? Is he beating anybody close to as good as a Robert Whitaker or close to as good as an Israel? I don't know. It's hard for me to gauge. Like, how would Tokov do in the UFC? It's, you don't really know. But what I do know is that Eblen has absolutely elite wrestling. His striking is getting better every fight. And the guy's an absolute hammer. So I think that he would definitely be a top three middleweight in the UFC. But it's just hard to gauge. It's hard to know based on the level of competition that he's facing. But the way that he smashed Gegard Mousasi, I mean, like, it's just like, wow, you know, it's pretty unbelievable. But also keep in mind that Jacare did the same thing to Mousasi in the UFC. Of course, Mousasi won back in Dream. But... We'll have to see how it plays out for Eblen. But Eblen is 31 years of age. Just turned 31. He's in his prime right now. Got kind of a late start in MMA. And he just looks untouchable right now in terms of Bellator talent. Like He's going to probably have to move up to light heavyweight and face Nemkov at some point in time. Because I don't see anybody right now at middleweight challenging him. I'd love to see Aaron Jeffrey get a shot at him just because it's a similar stylistic fight. But... Uh, you know, I think he's probably two wins away from that. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, Eblen is just, you know, dispatching the competition. And uh, I thought he made it look relatively easy against Tokov. And uh, the opener for the main card, Brendan Ward, defeats Sabah Homasi, head kick and punches. This was phenomenal matchmaking. You knew this was going to be a, a back-and-forth affair, and it lived up to expectations. Um, the only other thing I'd like to really point out from this card is Lorenz Larkin's elbow is that's in conversation right now. Early conversation for the um, knockout of the year. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal knockout by the one and only Lorenz Larkin, the monsoon. So kudos to him. Great knockout and uh, yeah, very, very uh, fun card for Bellator. And uh, I think that it was a good showing for them on CBS. The ratings weren't particularly good, but. At the same time, just getting on CBS, I think, is a big deal for them. So, uh, first time Bellator has been on uh, cable television. Or, uh, sorry, network television. Network television, I should say. And now we've got UFC 284. Actually, you know what? Before we talk about UFC 84, why don't we talk about uh, Conor McGregor coming back to be a coach on The Ultimate Fighter against Michael Chandler. Uh, Dana White announced this. Also announced that uh, UFC 287 will be taking place in Miami, Florida, which uh, I'm very excited about. That should be a, a great card, and uh, nice to see the UFC back in Miami. Been going to Jacksonville in recent years. 
Time to show uh, the 305 some love. A little sip of my coffee here and uh, talk about this next season of Ultimate Fighter, which Cole Shelton reported today is going to feature ex-UFC fighters against prospects. It's going to be kind of a mix of those two. And I think that's a really cool theme because when you do those shows like The Ultimate Fighter, the one that they did with Jesse Taylor and Diego Lima, and you bring back kind of old fighters, they're all together. Uh, I know James Krause was on that season as well. Like you, bring, you put them all together. I think that uh, I don't think that that makes them as hungry because they're facing kind of other aged veterans. If you put them in there against prospects, that can get some of these veteran guys out of bed and get them to really say, "Hey, you know, young pup, you're not getting into the into the junkyard without passing me first. And I think that uh, that's a really cool way to inspire a lot of these fighters that have are probably already have a chip on their shoulder from being released from the UFC to be gatekeepers to see which prospects belong and which ones don't because they'll find out quickly whether or not they belong if, if the casting for this is, is good but uh, McGregor and Chandler are going to face each other my best guess would be September I mentioned this on uh, on social media I think that the show wraps in August I don't think they're going to want to sit around and wait until October November to do that fight of course health permitting but I think that September in Vegas would be the most likely scenario for how we see these two matched up. And I know they've got the 30th anniversary show in November um, in New York City, but uh, tentatively. But uh, I think that this would be the best landing spot for Chandler versus McGregor. And then, hey, if McGregor ends up getting a fast finish, not to say that that's going to happen against Chandler, because personally I think Chandler wins that fight, but maybe you can turn him around for November. Maybe he remains hungry and wants to keep going. So who knows? But what I know is that that's really, really a tough comeback fight for McGregor. Now, I know that Chandler's two and three in the UFC, but he almost beat Poirier. He almost beat Charles Oliveira. And he was very competitive with Justin Gaethje. Like, we're talking about a guy who is hanging with the best of the best in the UFC's lightweight division, which is a tough division. And a guy who's beaten Tony Ferguson. And Dan Hooker are two guys that are veterans in that division as well. So what level is Conor McGregor? Is Conor McGregor still above what Tony Ferguson is or what Dan Hooker is? I think it's impossible to say whether he is or not. Who can say, right? Like, he's lost two in a row to Poirier. Poirier, I think we can say, is still a top three fighter in the lightweight division. I think you you say it's basically it's Oliveira. It's Makhachev and it's Poirier are like the top three. I don't think that uh, I'm off sides by saying that unless there's somebody I'm... I mean, Benil Dariush, I think, is like right there with Poirier probably. But I think that uh, Chandler, you know, Chandler's proven that he belongs. You know, a top seven, eight lightweight in the world right now. And Conor McGregor hasn't won a fight against a lightweight, even though it looks like this is going to be contested at 170 pounds, according to Hawani. But uh, his last win's against Cowboy Cerrone. And uh, I don't know how many fights Cowboy won after that. Like, I'm going to just take a look. After Cowboy Cerrone lost to McGregor, did he win a single fight? I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of one. No. So he, he actually lost. He had a draw, which was overturned to a no contest with Nico Price, and lost to Pettis, Alex Morono, and Jim Miller. Um, in three of those four fights. So, never want to fight again. 
So we kind of know where Donald Cerrone was going into that fight, in hindsight. Even though he was, he had come off of a win against Ally Akinta shortly before that, um, and lost to Justin Gaethje before he fought McGregor. But I think that we kind of saw the level that McGregor was facing in that fight, when you look in hindsight. So to face a guy like Michael Chandler, that is a tall order for Conor McGregor. And if he ends up winning, you already hear people talking about, hey, maybe he'll get the next title shot. Because everybody who's beaten Chandler seems to be getting that sort of consideration. We had Gaethje get the title shot after beating Chandler. Um, Poirier recently beat Chandler. He's not getting a title shot, but who knows who he's going to face. It might be Gaethje. No, but Gaethje's facing Fiziev. So I don't know who Poirier is going to even face next. So who knows? We'll have to see what ends up playing out from there. But I mean, that's that's a tough matchup. I'll just put it that way. I think that this is, a, a you know, a, again, a tall order for McGregor to come back against this sort of an opponent off of an injury. But hearing Michael Chandler say, oh, I want to have some fun with him first before I start going to my wrestling, when he's talking to Helwani, and who knows how much of that is just histrionics, but... <laughs> you know, you give him McGregor a puncher's chance, he's going to take it. Because that left hand has always been one of the most dynamic weapons in, in MMA. So let's uh, continue talking about uh, UFC 284. Spoke about, of course, off the top, how good of a matchup Makhachev versus Volkanovski is. And uh, according to our friends at FanDuel, Makhachev is a minus 400 favorite to come back on Volkanovski, plus 285. And again, like I mentioned, I think that... Uh, the best course of action for me is fight starts round three at minus 182. That's the direction that I would be going in with a bet for this fight. I think there's a ton of value on Volkanovski, but it's a tough, tough matchup for him. And uh, you always like that underdog money, but I would rather go with the safer pick with fight starts round three, which I believe to be a safer play. I think this fight goes at least to the third round. And um, I wouldn't be... Opposed to parlaying that with Yair Rodriguez. I thought Yair Rodriguez was going to be a bigger favorite, honestly, against Josh Emmett. I know it's a tough matchup, but Emmett is nearing 40. I would. How old is Josh Emmett now? Because Yair is 30. Josh Emmett, sorry, he's only 37. I, 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 he's almost 38, be 38 next month. But, uh, sorry, I thought he was a little bit older. But still, 38 is not exactly prime years for a featherweight. Um, I like Yair Rodriguez to win the Comey event, but uh, Josh Emmett is notoriously tough he's got really good wrestling which we've seen Rodriguez have issues with in the past and he's got that crazy power which can put any featherweight out he has uh, the record for the most knockdowns in featherweight history so tied with Jeremy Stevens so um in the second highest knockdown rate I believe behind Conor McGregor so those are the kind of weapons that Josh Hammett possesses but uh, I think you're getting a decent value line with Rodriguez Anywhere in the minus 165 to minus 180 range, I think you're getting good value. Even though, again, with the minus sign, it's close to 2-1. to one, I still think that he's he's the right side here. And uh, I'm not going to bite on the value of Josh Emmett. I think that uh, Rodriguez has more ways to win this fight. And uh, ultimately, he could gut out a decision. I mean, the uh, Rodriguez decision is plus 150. Rodriguez KO at plus 340, I think, is... Uh, an interesting one. You could also take the fight doesn't go at plus 114. I'd be interested to see what the fight ended knockout prop is as well. Like, I think that is one to look at um, if you want just an overall result. 
because that, I think, is a viable outcome for both fighters. I don't think we're going to see a submission here. So let's keep it rolling. You have Jack Della Maddalena, minus 350. Randy Brown, plus 255. If you want to bet Della Maddalena at that price, you, you knock yourself out. But against a guy as good as Randy Brown, I'm going to just sit back and watch and see if this guy's the real deal. He's just looked great so far. Um, and I think that uh, he's shown he's got great hands, phenomenal boxing, definitely a UFC caliber fighter. But his best his wins are against Ramazan Emiev, who was no longer in the UFC. Danny Roberts, I'm not sure if he's still in the UFC. And uh, Pete Rodriguez, who was 4-0. Going into that fight, all first round finishes, great. Like he's a, he looks excellent, but Randy Brown is coming off is on a win streak right now. Of Alex Oliveira, Jared Gooden, Chaos Williams, and Francisco Trinaldo. That is a really strong four fight win streak, and his only loss in the last four years is to Vicente Luque. Got off to a little bit of a rough start in his UFC career. Um, but he's been on a roll lately. He's in his prime. Della Maddalena, I think, is great, but this is one that I'm going to sit out. I will sit this one out and wait and see how it goes. The Brown submission profit plus 1,300. That's a juicy one. That's an interesting one. We haven't really seen him tested on the ground. I don't think Della Maddalena, so let's see. But uh, that's one I'm just going to sit out. Uh, Justin Toffa, minus 130. Parker Porter, plus 102. I like this um, fight starts round three at minus 108. That's the way that I would play that fight. I think that this fight goes longer. I think it's going to be a technical stand-up affair. Um, and unless Toffa catches him with one of those big bungalows early, I think this fight goes to a decision. So uh, fight starts round three at even money. You can sign me up on that one. I think that is... Uh, it's not a safe play. It's heavyweights, but that's the way I think this one goes. Parker Porter's... A really, really good technical striker. He's got a, a really good chin. And he doesn't take a ton of risks. And we've seen Justin Toffa also play that game sometimes where he likes to strike with his opponents for long durations. Has a good kickboxing background. So um, it's, it's a shame his brother Junior Toffa is not on this card like he was supposed to be, but he unfortunately got hurt. Jimmy Crute is a minus 200 favorite. Alonzo Menafield plus 154. Crute coming off of an injury. So this is one of those ones where I think I'll also sit it out. I do like the over one and a half at plus 110. I think this fight does go over. I don't, unless it's Menafield getting an early finish here, I think the Crute is going to be very cautious in this fight. Um, the Crute submission plus 230, good prop, but I think I'd rather just take the over one and a half at, at even money. I think that is a, uh, a good value proposition as well. Tyson Pedro against Modestus Bukowskis. Now, this is one I want to talk about. Because Tyson Pedro has looked phenomenal since coming back from injury. But he has fought Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker, who, no disrespect to those two gentlemen, were among the lowest caliber opponents that you could have given him in those spots. In one situation, he was minus 800. And in the other, he was minus 630. And the reason why is because I think people knew that these were fights that were going to get Tyson Pedro reacclimated to life in the UFC. Modestus Bukowskis is not those two guys. He's coming off of two straight wins last year in November and December respect respectively in Cage Warriors where he became the Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion. 
His UFC run wasn't great, but his losses were to borderline ranked guys like Jimmy Crute, Mikhail Oleksiejczyk, which was a split decision, and Khalil Roundtree. Like, those are really good fighters. And he has wins in his career against guys like uh, Marcin Wojcik, who's, looked, who's been a good fighter on the, region, on the regional scene. I think also had a cup of coffee in the UFC. Am I right on that? Let me just double-check. He didn't. I'm getting confused with uh, the Polish zombie, I think is the guy's name. Different Marcin. But a win over Martin Hamlet, who's looked really good in Bellator. I think that he is somebody who is still a, a, a quality opponent for Tyson Pedro and has some momentum right now. I think he fought a little bit too recently for my liking with uh, going to the fourth round and winning that fight, but I think you could take a flyer on Modestus Bukowskis here at plus 200. I think that that is probably the nicest-looking underdog play on the card, in my opinion. You've got Melsic Bagdasarian and Josh Kulabau, basically an even-money fight. Kulabau's looked really good of late. So, um, looked solid against Sungwoo Choi, won a split decision. That was a, something of a war. Win over Shailen Nurdenbeka. And then you've got Melsic Bagdasarian, who has been winning his fights in the UFC since uh, winning on Contender Series. Good wins over Bruno Souza and Colin Anglin. Um, Bruno Souza, I don't think is... I think he's no longer with the UFC and is in karate combat now. And uh, Colin Anglin was another guy off Contender Series. So he's facing basically regional quality opponents. And now he's facing a guy that's coming off a, a solid win over Sung Woo Choi and has beaten two UFC quality opponents in a row. Tough one to call, but I would I would lean towards the more seasoned Kulabau in this situation at, at even money. Um, I, I like the over 2.5 at minus 180. I think you can probably put that into some parlays. But uh, outside of that, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, Kulabau has shown some power in his recent fights too, but uh, I, would, I would go Kulabau there. I think that's probably the side, especially with him fighting in Australia. You've got uh, Cledson Rodriguez against Shannon Ross. Cledson Rodriguez is somebody who I think has a really bright future in the UFC. Uh, I know he's coming off a split decision loss to CJ Vergara, but uh, he was a pretty sizable favorite in that one too. But I think this is somebody who actually is going to make some noise in the UFC. He's facing the Turkish delight, Shannon Ross. Hopefully uh, this person is not a fan of the big Turk chocolate bar. But uh, Shannon Ross coming off a loss to Venetia Salvador in uh, on the Contender Series last year. So this is kind of a regional talent that's going to get a fight in Australia. I believe it was a short-notice opponent as well, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double-check that. Um, no, actually, not a short-notice opponent. Um, unless he was supposed to face someone else, and Clidson is a short-notice opponent for him. No, neither, neither is the case. So this was a, a match that was made with intentionality. Um, I can understand why Clidson Rodriguez is a big favorite here. I think if you are going to take the Clidson side, you maybe look at the under, or you look at Clidson by KO or submission, because Clidson was a pretty um, potent finisher on the regional scene coming into the UFC. So that's probably the way that I would look at that, is you, you look for Clidson by finish, if you want to get the number down a little bit. Uh, Jamie Malarkey taking on Francisco Prado. Prado has not fought a lot of good talent on the regional scene, but he's still 11-0. and 0. 
His last wins have come against good talent. Like, look at his last four. 8-2 opponent, 21-15 opponent. So at least somebody with some experience. And he won that by Von Vluchok. Uh 6-0 and opponent, and then 13-3 and opponent. So high-quality opponents in advance. And uh, Jamie Malarkey has won three of his last four. So he's been on something of a roll as well. Uh, although I do think a lot of people thought Michael, John- Michael Johnson won that last fight against Jamie Malarkey. That was a split decision. But close fight against Michael Johnson is certainly nothing to be ashamed of. And uh, certainly doesn't speak to the level that you're at. So Malarkey is a minus 265 favorite. If you do like Jamie Malarkey, I would suggest you take Malarkey by decision at plus 225. I think that is probably his best winning conditions. If you look at his recent wins, he has been getting finishes. So maybe I'm wrong on that. But I think that's probably uh, how he wins that fight more often than not. Jack Jenkins looks great on the Contender Series. He's taking on John Don Shanus, who... Uh, Fought Sadiq Youssef on short notice in his last fight. And only lasted 30 seconds with him. Uh, but Don Shainless has a good reputation for the regional scene. It's not like this guy was brought in necessarily to lose to Sadiq Youssef. I think this is a guy who they brought in knowing that he's a pretty decent regional talent. But uh, Jack Jenkins looked like a real hammer on uh, the Contender Series. And looks like one of these guys that they are, are banking on. But I'd like to see how he looks against Don Shanus before a minus 370 price tag on him uh, is something that I would consider. If you look at his fight in the Contender Series, Jack Jenkins was uh, a smaller favorite against the Contender Series fighter than he is against Don Shanus. And Don Shanus is somebody who hasn't fought the best competition. I mean, he has a a Jay Ellis win in his last three wins, which is usually a layup, but that doesn't necessarily mean that... You know, sometimes you need a short-notice opponent, they give Jay Ellis a call. Like, your opponent drops out or you can't find an opponent. His two recent wins against Cody Fister, former UFC fighter, and uh, Bruce Picot, or Bryce Picot, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but two, he basically has three first-round wins in a row uh, before that loss to Sadiq Yusuf. So that's a wait-and-see for me. Uh, Loma Lukabunmi taking on Elise Reed. The way that Elise Reed wins this fight is actually with a wrestling game plan, in my opinion. I think if she can take Lukabunmi down... She could win a decision here. To get her a decision of plus 360, I think is a good value price for Elise Reed. But more often than not, I think Luke Boonmi wins this fight. Uh, the over 2.5 is minus 350. So unless you think that Elise Reed is going to get a finish here, which I don't think is going to be the case, you can take Reed by decision and get some decent value. But uh, that's not something that I would necessarily recommend. And the uh, final two fights on the card, uh, you got Blake Builder, a plus 114 underdog to Shane Young, minus 146. And Elvis Brenner, plus 360 against Zubaira Tehugov. Um, the Tehugov knockout prop is something I would look at if you can get a good price on it. And that's it. That's UFC 284. Coming to you from wonderful Perth, Australia. If you would like to go on a tour of Perth, Australia, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok. And I, you know what? Follow me on Instagram or TikTok anyways. I'm starting to do a lot more content on those platforms. So uh, if you want to join me over there, I'd really appreciate it. Now, before we wrap up, let's uh, hit on a couple news uh, topics. Uh, Bellator has announced their next opponent for uh, Michael Venom Page, who did some uh, bare-knuckle boxing against Mike Perry and actually suffered a loss there. But him against Goichi Yamauchi is a really fun fight. So that's on March 10th in San Jose. That's the reason I'm talking about it. I just love that matchup. That, that matchup is going to be really cool. Goichi Yamauchi moving all the way up to 170. 
where I think he won his last fight. So, uh, solid. Solid, solid matchmaking in that situation. Um, Saeed Jakob Kachromanov was released by the UFC. This was a surprising move, in my opinion. Um, I, I looked at his resume, and he's got fought three times in the UFC, two wins, one of which was against Trevin Jones, who they just put up against Cordy Garbrandt. Like, they're giving him a, a feature bout sort of thing. And Kachromanov was beating Saeed, Saeed Nurmagomedov in the first round, and then he got finished in the second, but he got caught in a ninja choke. I'm surprised they would cut a guy that talented. I hope we see him land on his feet somewhere else, although he did respond to uh, someone on Twitter and said that he was going to retire. His dream was to come to the UFC, and now that they've released him, he doesn't really have the... Uh, he feels like he's not going to have the same sort of ambition, which is just really sad. I hate to see that. So, um, you know, hopefully, whatever he decides to do next, best of luck to him. So I think that's just about it. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see how this event goes. UFC 284, I think it's a great event, and I'm really looking forward to it. But before we go, we have some interviews to get to. So why don't we dive right into those? We're going to be speaking with the four fighters in which the card is built around, in the words of John Anik. Islam Makhachev, Alexander Volkanovsky, Josh Emmett, and Yair Rodriguez. Here are those interviews here on the TSN MMA show. Let's get started with the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. He is Alexander the Great Volkanovsky looking to become a two-division champion at UFC 284. But I've got to ask you this question. How many times have people in your life told you that you're too short to do something? <laughs> my whole life, mate, my whole life. Actually, actually, not my whole life, because I think when I was about 12 years old, maybe, or something like that, I think I was reasonably tall for my age. I just stopped growing then. So everyone showed up and I stayed there. So ever since 12 years old, everyone's been telling me I'm too short for something, even when I played rugby league and all that type of stuff. So it's, uh, it's all good. It's nothing new to me. I've, uh, I've been uh, undersized my whole life. I've been the underdog. I love a good underdog story. And uh, that just adds to this uh, victory when I get my hand raised. That was going to be my question to you. I mean, you must love it. Because whenever people underestimate you, it seems like that's when you rise to the occasion most. Well, 100%. I think that's why I like to challenge myself as well. And I think people should challenge themselves more often, right? Um, uh, again, a lot of people, like, I don't know. It just doesn't excite me to, to what? To be uh, the favorite all the time and things like that. I don't know. Something. I don't know. I just like being uh, being the underdog. I like challenging myself because it makes me um, a better fighter. Mate, doing this, doing this, and putting myself in this position has definitely leveled me up in so many different ways. And um, I love it. So I'm, I'm loving the the position I'm in right now, and I'm loving the the doubt. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people backing me as well. But you know what I mean. Uh, again, being the underdog, you know, and all that type of stuff. I love being the underdog because uh, I like to make a lot of people. Uh, that bet on me a lot of money as well. So uh, people really appreciate that when they can make big money on me. <laughs> well, if you look at your track record the last four years, I don't think anybody can argue with that. I mean, after this fight with Islam, it's basically going to be Chad Mendez, Aldo, three Holloway fights, Korean Zombie, Ortega, Makhachev. Has anybody had a harder strength of schedule than you over the last four years? Well, that's it, man. Like, uh, that's what I, really, I think that's what's so big about all this. You know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of people will see me... Uh, you know, you defend the belt, you got the title, uh, 
you're going champ, champ, and all that. But like, look at the names as well. Look at the people you fight. Look at look at them challenging myself. I just hope that doesn't go unnoticed, right? Like, I think people do notice it now. I just don't want them to forget uh, when when it's all said and done. When I go there and get it done, you know, what I mean, I want people to remember the, you know, remember who I was fighting while I was doing these things. You know, having that second belt is going to be incredible. But just remember the the names that I'm taking out while I'm doing that especially with uh, the way people are, you know, the narratives people are pushing and, uh, you know, the doubt that there is right now and me being undersized and being short and all this type of stuff, him being so much bigger, the wrestling and all that. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been pretty vocal about this. Just please remember this when it's all said and done. Well, this is the first time I think there's ever been a fight in UFC history where you've got a champion versus champion, but both champions kind of put something on the line here because usually if you, you're not the champion, if you end up losing or whatever, then you don't end up giving your featherweight title to Islam, but the pound-for-pound pound uh, title is basically on the line on your end. So is that what makes this such a cool fight? We, we've never really seen two fighters both put something on the line in a single fight. I don't think we've ever seen one and two fight each other. Number one, pound-for-pound, uh, pound, and number two, pound-for-pound, pound, fight each other. And you're right, in this position, we're going champ-champ. Um, right, we've got... I think he's on... What is he on? Like I'm on like an 11-5 win streak. I don't know what much win streak is, but... Um, we're crazy win streaks, crazy records, champion versus champion, number one versus number two, pound for pound. Man, there's so much on the line here. I don't think you're right. I think this is definitely history in the making. It's a massive fight, and um, you know, I just can't wait to go out there and do that again. Like I'm, uh, you know, you got that number one pound for pound. I've got that. You know, a lot of people try to protect it, and you know, but for me, I want to, you know, I want to show you is why you've got me here, and I'm really, really prove why I'm number one. You know, by doing things like this. So. Again, I love it. This is uh, what I'm all about, and I cannot wait. I read an article uh, a while back about kind of your humble beginnings in, in Australia and, and how you came up in the sport. And I have an Oculus headset, a VR headset, which has a, a, something called Ro um, Wander, where you can go anywhere in the world and just kind of walk around. And I went to freestyle martial arts um, in w Wangdang, or Wangdang, is it called? Wingdang. Wingdang, yeah. And I was walking down the street, and I mean, this is in like a residential area with like a gas station across the street. How did you find Joe Lopez at Freestyle Martial Arts? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It is. It's a small, obviously, it's getting a little bit bigger now. We're getting a lot of people in. We're getting a lot of fighters in and stuff like that. But it's always been a small gym. You know, it's a small gym. Um, again, it's just a, a local gym that was here. And one day, I wanted to go there to stay fit. I've always loved the martial arts. I was like, oh, I'll do this, stay fit in between uh, rugby league seasons. Um, and I, I went in, and Loved it and been here since. Obviously, we've traveled together, me and Joe Lopez. You know, we go there, do the rounds and get all the as much knowledge as we can and evolve uh, together. Him as a coach, me as a fighter, and really, really uh, build uh, our knowledge and evolve. Uh, so it's been it's been incredible. And uh, again, I love it because a lot of people will try and tell you you can't do that. You need to go to bigger gyms. You need to go overseas. You need to, you need to go to America and be in these big gyms over here to do this. You know, do you know how many people told me that as I was on the rise? Put it this way, no one's saying that to me now. No one's saying that to me now. And uh, I'm glad that I, I can show people from my area, not just that, people from small towns and small gyms around the world that anything is possible with that right, right mindset and, you know, and, and uh, you know, that, that right attitude and uh, mentality. Anything can be done, no matter where you are in the world. I'm not sure people quite understand how small the gym is. I mean, there's like six parking spots. I bet if, if people go any day, are they going to just see you there? Like, uh, they could just wait outside for you. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. You know, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. It's a, it is a small gym. It's a, yeah, 
like people need to park around the, there's a, a couple of streets you have to go uh, like a whole street away just so you can park because obviously now it's getting a lot more busy um, but yeah it's a it's good cool little gym very old school very raw looking gym and uh, it's cool we love it so if you're going to flip Alexander Volkanovsky's autograph on eBay you're going to have to walk a couple blocks is what you're saying yeah yeah maybe <laughs> So Islam Makhachev, I mean, this guy has been um, really a, an unbelievable fighter uh, thus far. He's the champion, of course, at 155 and has a pretty distinct strategy. He's an extremely risk-averse fighter. So are you going to basically try, just try to throw him into the fire as, as quickly as possible so that he can't avoid taking the kind of risks that are necessary when facing a guy like you? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's what a lot of people, uh, again, he's very... Uh... He's defensively sound. He's very calculated, even in the strike. And a lot of people like, some people say his, his striking is underrated. Doesn't mean he's uh, very good with, you know, with his offense and his combos and all that type of stuff. But it's calculated. His approach to it, it's very uh, specific MMA approach for his style, uh, which is, that is underrated. But I'm the type of guy that, you know what I mean? I, I understand movement. I understand things are doing. Yeah, I can't give too much away, but I mean, these things I understand. I know what he's trying to do. I, I'm aware of these things. I know how to capitalize it, on it. I know I know what to do in these sort of positions. So yeah, obviously I'm going to um, obviously put hands on him and we'll make it a firefight. Obviously I want to keep it standing and we know where he wants to take it. He has mentioned that he wants to keep it, like he might keep it standing and knocking me out and all that. But again, that, let's be real. We all know that's just, uh, that's just talk, um, especially with my movement and that, even if he does plan to stay on his feet which I know he isn't, with my movement and that, even if he was to land punches, I guarantee he's going to be very uncomfortable doing it. Uh, so it's, I know for a fact he's going to want to shoot. But again, he's, uh, he's very calculated and uh, I'm going to give him that respect, give him that benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I'm the man for the job, plain and simple. One thing I've seen you say in a lot of your interviews is that your opponent's faces change. How soon into this fight do you think Islam Makhachev's face will change? Straight away. Straight away. Put it this way. You're seeing smirks right now. Every time you see him, he's smirking and all that type of stuff. That'll start changing even fight week, obviously, because uh, I'm picturing that. I know what it's like. I know always what it's like. Right now, he's going to smirk. Fight week, that smirk changes because he's cutting weight and he's going to kill himself just to try and make weight. No, let's hope he makes it healthy because I, I do hope he steps in there. I want to fight him, so hopefully everything goes to plan. Um, but that, that smirk quickly changes even then. Uh, you might have a, a bit of a smirk on his face uh, at the ceremonial weigh-in when he's got a bit of uh, energy again. But as soon as we step in, as soon as I start moving, uh, getting the footwork and have him fighting my fight, it, it's quick. And I've said it in interviews. It's within uh, 10, 15 seconds, that face quickly changes. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a face where, you know, there's a face where he's got a, a game plan and then there's a face where it's like, Oh, where is he? You know, it's like a puzzled look on their face, and that, and that always happens. So there's a there's a panic, pretty quickly, and that's what I want to see, and that's what I'm going to make him see, and that's that's when you're going to start seeing him get desperate. He's going to panic shoot. Uh, he's going to he's going to try and shoot out of position, uh, and uh, we're going to make him pay for that. Well, I think a lot that's of people. What we want to do, obviously that obviously that's my game plan. He's going to have other plans, but again, that's that's what I plan on doing. I think a lot of people love you because you're a blue-collar fighter. You know, people can relate to you. But I don't think that you are as blue-collar as the shirt you're wearing, the Hutch's bricklaying. That might be the most blue-collar yeah, shirt go. ever made. <laughs> there you go. That's it. It's uh, my best mate's uh, 
uh, Brick Lane uh, company. So shout out to them. All right. Well, if you need any bricks, it's, it's good weather, mate. It's beautiful <laughs> weather. The sun's out. I'm out here on the veranda. I got the singlet on. You know what I mean? Wearing some uh, nice short shorts. You know, barefoot. That's it, mate. Aussie way. And Islam's coming from like the mountains of Russia, 1,300 feet altitude, running up hills in the snow to 36 degree weather out in Australia. Yeah. So it was uh, exactly. He would have been rugged up over there. Now he's uh, wearing some thongs and uh, singlets himself. So uh, I'm sorry. He come in a bit earlier to get used to that weather. So he'll be fine. Well, here in Toronto, we've got a balmy high of minus 15 tomorrow. So I wish I was down there as well. But uh, best of luck, of course. It's the the pound-for-pound number one fighter in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky, looking to add another title to the mix. Uh, Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. No worries, mate. Thank you. It's the main event of UFC 284 in Perth, Australia. The number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world against the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world. The first time this has ever happened. Islam Makhachev making his first Lightweight championship title defense. This is a pretty big fight to have for your very first title defense. Yeah, this is a very big fight. And for what? For the to be pound for pound king. That's right. It's big fight for me. You got to Australia fairly early prior to, uh, I guess, your actual fight. What's the time difference like for you? And how are you enjoying it there so far? I come before... Um, 20 days because weather in Russia in Australia right now so different that's why we come with with the team and now we here more than two weeks and I'm Canadian. time is different too now is in Russia in early morning but here it's almost 1pm now here I'm from Canada so you can tell me in Celsius what's the temperature in Dagestan versus the temperature in Australia now it's Dagestan temperature like zero or cold, but here more than 35. It's so oh. different. Wow, very different. Yeah, yeah. I saw the a video. Dagestan, the winter, winter time, but here it's summer now. Yeah, I've heard it's very hot. It's pretty hot year round in Australia, but now in the summer uh, it's probably extremely hot. So what time does it get dark there right now? Dark. It's seven, eight. Okay, so that's not too bad. I, I saw yeah. a video. The Nelk boys, I guess, came to Dagestan to train with you. And uh, the, the kind of, of workouts that you guys have been doing there is, is pretty astonishing. Going up, uphill. To, <laughs> I, they, bring, they come to the, my camp in the Elbrus. This is more than, this is like 1,800 meters from the sea level. And I want to push them, like training with us a little bit, little bit but... These guys are lazy. They do some some small things and sit in the car. So th- so we just saw them record. They do it a couple times. They record it, and then the rest of the time they just let you finish doing the work. Oh, I understand. They just recorded themselves working out for a couple minutes, and then they they, they just took off. They record some couple of minutes and <laughs> rest. <laughs> now one of them said that. But next time I say next time you have to come, guys. In good shape. <laughs> They said that just standing in the mountains, not even running uphill, that they were tired because, like you mentioned, the elevation is so high. But when they landed, when they come, came first, first day, they say, we're going to train with us, we're going to do like all stuff. But after a couple of days, they say, we finish. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I saw what you guys were doing in terms of the workouts. And I don't blame them for, for not going through it. I mean, it looks like uh, you guys are doing pretty rigorous training there. Yeah. 
we training hard that time that time because we in the mountain and it was very good camp for the you know for the first of all for the condition when you're training something somewhere like from the sea level more than 1000 it's it's good for your condition when you do those kind of exercises, is there one that is the hardest for you? Like, if you could say, this is the hardest exercise that I have to do. If I could just never do it again, I'd be a happy man. I always say, I don't want to do this again, but I have, like, no, not all, every time I do same program. I have different program, but that time I tell my coach, hey, this program's so hard, let's change something. He said, no, we have to do, finish this, and... Now, right now, we finish all the program, all the hard training. We finish all this. Now what? we just have to follow the diet, cut weight, drink water, and that's it. What's the one hardest exercise for you? The one that you you hate the most? Hate the most. We have some program. I bring the weights and jumping with the weights. This is my. I don't like this stuff. Jump with weights, it's so hard. What's the hardest part about it? You know, always when you do something for your legs or like running in the mountains, it's very hard because it's not like you run in this city or when you go to the mountain, when you like walk there, it's also hard, you know? That's right. Do some exercise for the legs. I don't like this part. Now, one big story that's come out is that Habib is not accompanying you on this trip. Now, you've had fights in the past where he has not been in your corner, but when he told you his decision to spend more time with his family and that he wouldn't be accompanying you on this trip, did that, you know, did that throw you for a loop at all? Did that make you a little bit worried? But in my mind, I understand one day He's going to say, guys, I am retired, but I don't know when, but I waiting for that moment because I understand him. I saw how he traveled last year and how many days he stayed with his family. You know, every fighter want to, uh, when they finish their career, they want to stay with family, with friends, like be in the home. But these guys travel, you know, not just with me. With all team, somebody have fight, he travel, stay with him to the uh, camp, fight week, fight, you know, it's take so much time, you know. That's why I understand him and I agree with him always. That seemed he wanted to pick up from where his father left off. And if he takes a step back and he looks at you being the champion in the UFC, Usman is the champion in Bellator, he probably says, what more is there for me to do? Do you think that that's probably what it was? Yeah. Is, you know, why do I keep doing this when we've already accomplished what I've set out to do? Again, can I can repeat? Yeah, do you think that he just kind of looks at what he's accomplished as a coach now with you as the champion in the uh -huh. UFC, Usman as maybe, the champion in Bellator? Yeah, maybe he thinks now we have like more champions and everybody can take care of himself and that's why maybe. He changed his decision. Not change, but he say I'm retired you know, early because I think he's going to stay. We, just, we don't have like big team. 
who fighting in the UFC and Bellator now just five six guys I think before he gonna stay with us before the all guys retired because before the all guys like take belt or something but uh, I mistake like maybe one two years I think it's it's gonna be like after couple years but he say no I spoke to Umar and he says he believes Habib will still be involved with the team in Dagestan. Is that what the plan is? He's going to training with us in Dagestan because we're training like close to his house. Sometimes he came to the gym, played some rugby, ball with us and wrestling, do some stuff. Because this guy always training, you know, every yeah. day. <laughs> I figure it would be hard for him to completely walk away and just say, bye, guys. I'm never going to see you guys again. I'm just staying at home. doesn't seem like Habib. <laughs> he said, we're going to train you. We're going to do all stuff together, but I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to go Australia or U.S. Yes, but we're same. We're all brothers. We're training always together and meet outside the gym. We meet a lot. So you're going to be facing the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the sport right now, Alexander Volkanovsky. What is it about him that makes him unique from your previous opponents? Can you repeat? What is it that makes him different from your previous opponents? What, what about his game makes him stand out that has made him the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter? For him, what's they going to be different? Yeah, than your previous opponents. What, what makes him different? For him, it's going to be different, you know, first of all, the power, because this is not his area. This is big guys who have power, who can pressure him, hold him, you know. It's going to be a little bit shock for him, because it's not the same. We have many guys from the 145 in the gym, but they're all small, you know. But this is not his jungle, for sure. And for me, also, it's... I bring to the camp now like a little bit short, small guys, like similarly like Volkanovski. And, but my plan always same. I'm always looking to the finish and my goal, I want to knock him out. Because, you know, everybody say, hey, Islam have good wrestling, grappling, but my goal, I have to knock him out, and people going to say, this is number one pound-for-pound pound king. So it's not just about beating him for you. It's about making a statement so that there's no questions left after the fight. Yeah, I have to smash him everywhere because this guy not from our division, you know. You know, it's funny. Right after Khabib retired, I spoke to you. And I said, you got to start talking about smashing everybody. And, the, you know, and that, that's, you were a very quiet guy, smiled a lot, very polite. You're starting to talk about smashing now. So I, I like that. I like the but new Islam Makhachev. We have to be true, you know. <laughs> and what I did, like, last my five, six fight, I always looking for the finish, and I finish all my opponents. And I told all fight week before the fight in Abu Dhabi. I want to finish my opponent because he has most finishes in the UFC. I want to like give him some choke or some ambition, something. And do you think Charles will, will get back to where he was? Do you think Charles will have a chance to face you once again? Or do you think that now he's going to decline? Think, yeah. If we look to the division now, 
we don't have many guys. They all beat each other. And now we have a good, very good fight, very interesting. Darius versus Oliveira. I think some of the guy is going to be next. All right, Islam, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. It's yourself, Alexander Volkanovsky, the main event of UFC 284 in Perth, Australia. Thank you for doing this, and best of luck at UFC 284. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. See you. One week from today, this man, Yair Rodriguez, may be the new interim featherweight champion of the world. Heading into fight week, with that on your mind, does it change anything in terms of how you feel this week? No. I, I feel, actually, I feel relaxed. I feel good about my training camp. I feel good physically, mentally. And uh, this is one of the fights that I, that I have felt better than before. So I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm excited about what's coming. And... Um, just waiting, just waiting for a moment. So do you almost have to approach it like any other fight? And then when you're victorious, that's when you can let the emotions kind of come out and, you know, feel what you're supposed to feel when you become a champion. Exactly. Just until that moment, you know, because, in a, um, I mean, you, you basically win the fight before the fight, like during this, the, the fight week, during the wake up, during the training. You, that's when you win the fight. And it's just like... Um, the belt is like a physical proof of you winning, right? But that's it. You know, it's right now, today, right here in this moment is when I'm winning the fight. You fought Max Holloway before. And I mean, this is one of the best fighters in the world. Having the knowledge that you've been in there with him and, and have hung with Max Holloway, does that give you more confidence facing a guy like Josh Emmett, who I'm sure a lot of people don't believe is, is quite as good as Max Holloway? Well, yeah, I mean... Just facing Max Holloway was different, you know, because he has a lot of experience. I could absorb a lot of experience in that fight. Uh, but I don't think Yoshimet uh, is not as good as people think sometimes. You know, I think he's really good. as He's really dangerous, powerful, explosive. And, um, yeah, of course, I need to be careful with that guy, you know, because he's coming, he's coming with everything he has for his dreams as well. And, uh, you know, I'm not overlooking this guy. So I'm just ready for whatever he's coming. Yeah, you mentioned being careful against a guy like Max, who's just, you, you know that you have to prepare for five rounds with him, and he's just so good and so dynamic. With Josh Emmett, this guy's got tremendous power. Is that something that you think about at all? Like, if you're laying in bed at night before you go to sleep, do you think about the power that Josh Emmett possesses and has shown in the past? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking on, on myself. I'm thinking on, on, on my abilities, what I'm capable of doing, my movement, all that. I'm not thinking of him at all, you know, I'm just... Sometimes when I have to do visualization and stuff like that, yeah, of course, uh, you got to put attention to stuff like that. But no, no, it's not like I'm thinking of family like all the time or even before going to sleep. No, it's just um, sometimes, you know, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot hear in that much space into my head, you know, it's, it's not necessary. You know, I need to focus on myself. Do you feel like you're a tougher fighter to prepare for than Josh Emmett is? That you have more wrinkles to your game that he needs to be prepared for than what he possesses? I just think any any fighter is hard to prepare for because we are all different. Uh, the fact that you're different than somebody doesn't make it easier. So with that said, I just think we're different, you know, it's, and that's it. Everybody's hard to prepare for. Now, it's weird for me to say this because you're only 30 years old, but you're really a pioneer of Mexican mixed martial arts in terms of Mexican-born fighters that have done big things in the UFC. I mean, you're really the, the torchbearer, the first one that really got on the map. Um, 
they just announced today that they are going to be building a new UFC Performance Institute that's about the same size as the one they have in Las Vegas. It should be open by the end of the year. What does that mean to you as somebody who was really one of the first fighters from Latin America and particularly Mexico to, to make a name for himself in the UFC? It, it means a lot, you know. It means a lot for me because uh, knowing that I, um, that I did something, even if it's a small, a small uh, something, for this to happen is a fulfillment for me, for my heart, you know, that I, it's like, it's like, uh, not literally, but metaphorically putting the first rock of something or the second rock of something, you know, like, like building the base uh, of something huge that I probably don't have idea what's coming next, you know? So it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling of feeling of, um, just thinking that I did something good for, for the next generations. Do you think of yourself as a pioneer? Again, you're 30 years old. It's probably hard to think of yourself in that <laughs> way, but it's still, you are a pioneer of the sport in terms of Mexican fighters. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of pioneers, you know, like, especially like right at this point, Brando Moreno, but in what point came Velasquez, um, Goyito Perez, Efrain Escudero, Kelvin Gastelum, uh, Alexa Grasso, Irene Aldana, and many other fighters, you know, the, they have uh, the, the Hispanic heritage on their blood and stuff. Uh, I used to think there's a lot of pioneers. This, I don't know if I'm a pioneer or not, but uh, I'm sure um, I did something good, you know, uh, for the other fighters to to want to come do this. I'm sure many have asked you this already, but in terms of what the future looks like for Mexican MMA, I mean, right now, of course, Brandon Moreno, you keep mentioning him. He, of course, is the, the two-time flyweight champion of the world. There's yourself. We know that Alexa Grasso is getting a shot at the Women's Flyweight Championship. Uh, Irina Aldana is right there in terms of the Women's Bantamweight Championship. It's a really a great time to be a fan of, of MMA in Mexico and also to be a Mexican fighter. But what does it mean to see all of these fighters rise to such high levels when really <laughs> you think eight, nine years ago, there really was not a whole lot of fighters coming out of Mexico that, that were doing big things in the UFC? I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy for all of them. I'm happy for my friends, you know, Brandon Moreno, especially right now that he had the opportunity to, to you know, do what he's doing. And uh, after living with him in Albuquerque for like almost seven months and, you know, learning from each other, seeing each other struggling under the same circumstances and stuff, it's just, uh, it's just amazing, you know, it's just amazing to see him shine now because during his career in the UFC as well, he was a lot of up, ups and downs and he never gave up. So I just think it's, it's amazing. And what's coming for the, for the girls is, is just as an amazing as well. And I can't wait. I can't wait for, for this two, 2023 to happen. How did mixed martial arts come onto your radar? Because when you think about Mexico, you think of, of how deeply entrenched your country is in boxing. When you, when you look at mixed martial arts, and you started, I think, Taekwondo as a five-year-old, how did that become something that you wanted to do? And was it a dream that seemed like it was going to be very hard to achieve when you didn't see a lot of people that were born in Mexico doing, again, big things in, in the UFC. <laughs> so I'm from um, 1992. And when I was born, I, there was not a lot of technology still, you know, like growing up, I, I meet technology at some point, And then I meet uh, um, with my cousins that they were my, my literally my neighbors. And I used to go with them like uh, every single day. And they used to be this bright uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube videos, you know, and UFC videos and stuff. 
And since then, when I was like training Taekwondo, Judo, and boxing, all that, I grew up watching uh, these other uh, martial artists, you know, as well. And I think that was a big, big thing for me, you know, because I always wanted to to be a good fighter, not not to become a fighter, but just to be a good fighter, you know, in school, you to be respected in school, like nobody, nobody like trying to fuck around with you or like picking on you or whatever. And I think that was one of one of the biggest things, you know, that I that I did growing up. And uh, especially like in our culture, like knowing how to fight and or fighting in the street and stuff like that, it just makes you makes you be respected. Like, okay, this guy is not up, you know, like he won't let nobody use fuck with him, use like that. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know. Growing up, I made the sport when I was 17 years old, mixed martial arts itself. And that's why when I started practicing and it became like not only a hobby, but like like everything for me, you know. And that point of my life when I when I most needed, MMA was there for me and and I absorbed it all. Have you had a chance to really take a step back and appreciate what you have in your life in terms of this being your job? Like your job is the thing that you love to do and that you've loved to do for your whole life. And you're about to become a champion potentially. Like, do you ever take a step back and think, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy that I was able to achieve this? Yeah, I mean, I step back and, and I think about everything that I have overcome to be here right in this moment. Some, sometimes, you know, it's, it gets super hard that uh, makes you wonder different things, you know, but I don't think if it's not hard enough to make you wonder if you're doing things right or not, or if you should be doing this or not, it's, it's, it's not something worth living for, you know, and I have, I have had those step backs on my life and my career where it makes me wonder if I, if I should be doing this or not. And, you know, for every time that I think of, like, start thinking, uh, like in a ne negative way, I just calm myself down. I talk to somebody, my my mom, dad, my coach, whatever. And it's like you just relax. You you're fine. You'll be fine. And then I start thinking about all the good things that that come out of this, and all the good things that I can do out of these situations. And it just re-motivates me again, you know, and uh, renews myself. That's that's what I, that's how I feel right now. Like I'm renewing myself, and I feel happy in a good place, and uh, just excited about my future and what's coming. Well, we're all very excited. We've really enjoyed watching your career. I remember when you were on The Ultimate Fighter, people were asking me, they said, you're watching the season? I said, yeah, it's a great season, but you've got to watch out for Yair Rodriguez. This, this kid is really, really talented, and I'm glad you've proved me right. Thank you for that, and uh, best of luck. UFC 284, yeah. co-main event, interim featherweight championship on the line. Yourself, Josh Emmett. Look forward to speaking to you again soon, Yair. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you. Okay, good talking to you. He is one half of the co-main event of this weekend's UFC 284 card fighting for the interim featherweight championship of the world, Yair Rodriguez. And this has been such a long journey for you, Josh, and this was the opportunity that you were waiting for. How excited were you when they actually finally called and said, you're going to get the fight for a championship? Yeah, it was super excited. You know, this is, this is why I got in the sport of MMA. Um, this has been a goal of mine, and... Yeah, it couldn't come at a, a better time, you know, in this sport um, and in life, you know, timing is everything and everything just started to align at the right moment. Everything's fallen into place at the right moment. And uh, yeah, this is, it, it's been a, a great experience, a great camp. Everything about it has uh, been nothing but amazing. And uh, I'm ready to go right now. 
You had a very close fight against Calvin Cater. Do you feel like that kind of changed some of the perception around you? I know a lot of people felt that, again, it was a very close fight. I think a lot of people thought Calvin won. A lot of people think that you won that fight. But it seems like the perception around you changed for some reason coming out of that fight. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I just kind of focus on myself. Um, you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion and I, I really don't care. You know, it's a, I feel like, I don't know, like, no, I'm just focusing on myself and, and, and doing what I can control. And it's as simple as it is. You know, I, I won the fight. You can just search it. Um, I thought I was up four to one and, you know, yeah, it was close. It is what it is, but I got the job done, and here we are on fight for the interim title. Well, it's strange to me because you're in like a knock him out, knock him down, drag him out war with Calvin Cater that I thought was an you know extremely close fight either way, and then you've got Yair who beats Brian Ortega with kind of a freak injury that I, you know Yair did cause, but it seems like nobody's talking about Yair in the same way they're discussing you. Yeah, it, it's okay. You know, people have their favorites, and it's like. I have my friends and family and fans, and they're going to support me. Every fighter has that. So, of course, they're going to support their own. And at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's fine. Like, I, 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 really, I really don't care what other people think. Like, I'm literally laser-focused on myself and, and winning my first UFC world title. So, um, who knows? They'll, 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 they'll speak about us in the fight. Um, after, after fight night. Well, you've got some of the best power we've ever seen at featherweight. You hold the record for the most knockdowns in the history of this division. So if people, for whatever reason, are forgetting about this, they don't remember how exciting of a fighter you are, that's kind of on them. That means they haven't been watching for long enough. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I'm, uh, I've never been in a boring fight. Um, anytime I'm on a card, fans are excited because they're going to see an exciting fight. I'm going out there to finish the fight. Every punch I throw um, has bad intentions behind it, and I'm, I'm looking to finish the fight wherever it goes. I, I can do everything, and I'm, I'm not holding back. I'm not trying to point someone out. I'm going in there to fight. I'm going in there to win a world title. What would that mean to you, putting the title over your shoulder, around your waist, however it ends up being, uh, of course, <laughs> you know, put on you after the fight? Being a champion, what does that mean to you in terms of the overall scope of your life? It means everything. This, this is what I've dreamed of. Uh, this gets me one step closer to becoming the undisputed world champion, but I have to get through a dangerous Yair Rodriguez first. And um, yeah, I'm so well prepared. I'm, I'm, I'm in the, just the right, <laughs> the right state. You know, I have everything dialed in with, I call it Team Emmett, and that's not... Um, that's my, my therapist, my doctors, my coaches, like everyone that's ever helped me, even if it's just a, the smallest percent, um, I'm going in there and, and I'm fighting for everyone. I'm fighting for, you know, my wife, my mom, I'm fighting for my city of Sacramento. Everyone is in my corner and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And it gets me that much closer to my ultimate goal. Yeah. So if the ultimate goal is being the undisputed champion, as you just mentioned, how different is the level of satisfaction for a win for the interim belt compared to just any other win that gets you closer to that title? Does this have more significance to you? Um, no, every, every fight is, um, 
this just feels like any other fight. I know there's so much on the line, but for me, I'm going to do, I've been doing the exact same routine. We've been focusing on, of course, Yair as my opponent. I'm going to go to the arena. I'm going to warm up. I'm going to walk out, fight one person. Even though there is, you know, so much more on the line, I'm not adding any more pressure. I just have to go out there. And if the best version of myself shows up, there's no one in the world that can beat me. Um, but yeah, this, this just gives me a little feedback when I win. And that's with the interim title. It's basically, in my eyes, the number one contender um, belt. And then this will get me closer to Volkanovski. But I have to win first and take care of business on fight day. So that's basically what it is. It's a promise ring. <laughs> you get the next shot. And then you're also promised a lot more money next time around because you get championship pay, basically, for being the interim champion. So that's kind of what it means to you this Saturday? Is It's, it's the, the last step to that ultimate goal? 100%. That's, uh, that's what it is. You know, it's a, I have to go in there, just beat another opponent. Even though I'll be a, a champion, there's only one champion, and that's, that's Alexander Volkanovsky in my weight class at the moment. Um, so... You know, I, I'm, I'm excited to go in there and, and you know, touch gold and bring, you know, the, the first world title back to Sacramento and Team Alphamil for the featherweight division. Uh, even Team Alphamil and Sacramento haven't touched UFC gold in over six years. So um, it, I carry the, you know, the weight on my shoulder, my city, my team, my coaches, everyone that I always mention, my wife, family, mom, and... Um, yeah, we're going to go in there and get the job done and bring it back. And then that'll line me up for um, unifying the title against Volkanovski. And just like you said, um, I couldn't write this any better. Just because when I win, I will be considered a champion, even though Volkanovski is the champion. Um, and so it'll just set up you know, a bigger payday when that comes. But I, I'm, I'm not, I, I understand what's going to happen after this, but I'm solely focused on beating Yair Rodriguez right now. You mentioned Volkanovski. The reason that the interim fight is happening, of course, is because the main event, he's moving up a weight class to face Islam Makhachev. He's a pretty sizable underdog here. If you were to assess it from an analyst standpoint, what does Alexander Volkanovski need to do to have two belts on his shoulders at the end of the night? Yeah, you know, Alexander Volkanovski is uh, the pound-for-pound number one in the UFC He's the featherweight champion. He's undefeated in the UFC for a reason. Um, I think a lot of people are counting him out because Islam is, man, he is a... He's well-rounded. He's continuing to show that. And I think Nasi's surprised a lot of people. You know, I, I do feel on the feet, I feel like he has, you know, maybe he'll be favored if it uh, stays standing. Um, and Volkanovski is a, a strong guy. He's he's showed his heart and and how he can get out of you know tough submissions when he fought Brian Ortega. He's working with uh, Craig Jones. He's um, I just know because how good Chad Mendez is as a wrestler. Um, Mendez couldn't hold him down. So it's uh he's good and, and that's just that's my opinion, but. So is Islam. So I, I am excited for the fight. Um, it's it, it's great to be on a card and co-headline in a historic event. You have pound for pound number one, pound for pound number two, lightweight and featherweight champion. It doesn't get bigger than that. And and we're gonna uh, I'm gonna start off the 
the show early. That's the thing I love about that fight, number one versus number two. It's just it's such a volatile fight. There are so many different potential outcomes. So I want you to give me your best guess. Volkanovski wins. How does he uh, do it? And Islam wins. How does he do it? What do you think the outcome would be if I tell you right now that either of those guys have won the fight? I'm thinking if Islam wins, he either takes him down and and you know finishes him with some type of submission. Um, if Volkanovski wins, I, I could I could see him pulling out a a decision of some sort. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting fight for that reason because either guy could win a decision, either guy could get a finish. It's just it just depends on how it goes. And I think with Islam, we've seen him fight to such a level of perfection in recent years. But you also look at the resume. You look at what Volkanovski's done the last four years. You mentioned Chad Mendez, Aldo, three fights against Max Holloway. Ortega, Korean Zombie, like, that's about as good of a resume as you'll get. But when you look at Islam, you've got, you know, Bobby Green, you've got Dan Hooker. These are good fighters, but these aren't the upper echelon of, of his division outside of Charles Oliveira. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And it, it is tough because, uh, you know, Volkanovski, he, he's beat the goats, you know, and some of the, the legends and uh, of the division. And, and Islam has beat phenomenal fighters, great fighters. And then look what he did to Oliveira with ease when people didn't think Oliveira was going to lose for a long, long time. So it's uh, styles make fights, and I hate predicting fights because I can argue how Volkanovski wins. I can argue how Islam uh, wins. They both come from great camps, great coaching staff, great teammates. Um, everything about them is, uh, you know, they're, they're championship grade, and so that's why I'm just, I'm just sitting back, and after I get my hand raised, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy that fight. Absolutely. Well, it's an awesome fight between yourself and Yair Rodriguez. Great stylistic matchup, I think, for both of you. I think both of you guys are going to have a lot of fun in there, at the, at the, at the, at the least, because of how cool of a matchup it is. Uh, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, Josh. And uh, best of luck fighting for the interim championship in the co-main event this weekend. Appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Jeremy Kennedy enters hostile territory at Bellator 291 in Dublin. His opponent, Pedro Carvalho, of course, trains uh, with Conor McGregor and uh, the, the remaining team under John Kavanaugh. Uh, why take this fight? I mean, it's a difficult opponent, and uh, you're going into hostile territory, like I mentioned, and also kind of a step down from your previous opponent. Yeah, um, I just think it's, it's rankings. You know, they, uh, that's all the incentive to me was he's ranked three, I'm five. My climb to the top is, uh, is through him. And my shot at the title is, is through him. He's the number one contender fight that I need to beat. Um, everyone else in the top five is coming off of a loss or an injury or moved up in weight. So he's, uh, he's the next guy. Well, to be frank, I didn't realize that Pedro was ranked that high. So he's, he's ranked number three and you're ranked number five? Yeah, it was after his uh, fight with Mads that uh, put him up there. Um, and that was like a week before Pico and I. So... It actually, like, the time frame and everything, the timeline worked out well. And then for the landscape of the division, it just makes sense. If I'm not mistaken, Mads is a training partner of yours, correct? Correct, yeah. Me, him, and uh, Kai are the three uh, Bellator featherweights that we all get working together. So it's, it's good to have a, a high-level room like that. Now, I'm sure that uh, he wouldn't make any excuses for his performance, but he, he looked kind of flat in that performance. Was there anything that went into that? Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you that he... Uh, I think there was there's some stuff with his weight cut. I'm not too sure. I didn't really ask the the specifics on it. Um, and then at the end of the day, nobody wants to come off with with excuses and stuff. So I believe him. I know I know that wasn't uh, 
the full Mavs that we we've seen in the past. But um, at the end of the day, it's they both showed up showed up at the same time, and and uh, Pedro just performed. Mavs uh, wasn't able to. Now I mentioned before we started, I wanted to ask you about something. Something that bothers yeah. me quite a bit, and I'm sure bothers you even more. So you beat Aaron Pico. It was an injury uh, stoppage. And yeah. it seems like nobody's giving you any sort of credit for this win, even though I thought you probably won that first round. Uh, oh, why why yeah. do you think that is? Uh, you know, I, I know that Aaron Pico is a great fighter, and that's no way to, you know, you know, obviously you want to get a finish in a fight like that or win a decision. But at the same time, the injury is caused by something that you're doing against him in the fight. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think it was a, a close first round, you know. I mean, he was compromised, but that was one-way traffic. Um, it. It is what it is to me. It's uh, kind of getting overlooked a little bit. I mean, he does have merit. You know, he's he's very high regarded. He's got credentials through the roof that uh, I'm sure weighed into that. But I mean, we could say the same thing if we're really looking at these rankings. Last year when I beat uh, um, Sanchez, I was seventh and he was fourth. So I, you know, I bumped. I fought the guy five ranks up higher than me or four ranks. I 30-27, I'm pretty clear-cut decision, and um, when the rankings came out, I had moved up, I think, two spots from nine to seven, and he had dropped from four to six, and he was still above me. So it didn't really make sense to me then. It's happened twice in a row now, um, but that's okay. I just keep beating these guys that are ranked higher, and uh, nothing else. You know, the, the rankings are just a number. Um, I'm just, I keep getting these opportunities, which I'm grateful for, you know, fighting Forex. Pico, Sanchez, all all in the top five at the time. Um, and now Pedro, who's also in the top five at the same time. So that's four four opponents in a row, all going to be within the top five in the rankings. And um, I haven't, I just broke the top five now, you know. So I think uh, a win over Pedro is going to put me, you know, above that and, and next in line for the title shot and the pitbull fight. Well, I sent your coach, Eric Nixick. Uh, a message after that fight with Pico, and I said the strategy looked like it was it was great. Was that like was that what you guys were intending to do for the remainder of the fight? And he said, "Yeah, like we had a great strategy." He thought that you, of course, implemented it great, but I just wish that you'd get more credit for it because, like I said, it yeah. feels like people are, are acting like this is a no contest. Yeah, I know. And then you you look at you know three weeks later, TJ and Aljo, pretty much identical thing happens, but even TJ went in compromised, you know, and Aljo's still getting all the credit and whatnot from a, a title defense and uh, not really looked at the same, but it, it's, it's okay. It's the sport, you know, and injuries happen. People are probably weren't really happy with, you know, Aaron getting hurt like that. I wasn't either. Um, I just wished him a, a good recovery and on to the next, you know, I've, I've got my next fight booked really quickly after that. Um, and it's a great opponent, great matching, great billing. And so I'm just looking forward to that one now, man. Now that's the Pico fights in the rear view. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited. Now remind me, have you fought in Europe before? No, I fought in everywhere, but you know, I fought in Morocco and Saudi Arabia and Thailand and Australia, Brazil, the U.S., Canada. But uh, this is be my first European debut, so I'm excited. Are you planning on staying and, and a little bit extra? No other, and to do it in Dublin, I mean, can't go wrong, man. This Dublin crowd has looked amazing in all the other previous shows, so I can't wait to feel that energy. But uh, yeah, I will be be staying a few days after. Just you go that far. Um, I'm not making it like a big big travel day or any like big trip. But I think we're gonna leave like two or three days later. You know, check out some of the little areas just because I'll be there a full week ahead. But you know, weight cut, 
fight focused training and not much sightseeing or or experiencing the culture or anything like that so i'll I'll be due for a guinness you know the following week <laughs> yeah well i mean hopefully you'll you'll enjoy it uh when you're yeah. out there and, and get the authentic thing exactly just to probably don't go to the black forge inn and if you beat pedro you might not be welcome <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah fair enough that's the one we can <laughs> avoid it's all good now tell me about pedro i mean he he didn't look that great in the tournament itself but lately he's been really coming into his own yeah, I mean, he's he's a he's a weird, a different guy to kind of scope. You know, he's he's really he's had some really good performances, and then he's also, you know, hasn't looked the greatest. You know, he's been uh, put away. I mean, that was a little short span with Pipple and um, what's his name? Sorry, the uh, the undefeated kid, JJ Wilson. Um, yeah, so outside of those, you know, he's he's still been super durable. Um, stealing these rounds from these guys that I, I think he should have been lost to, you know, like I thought Weichel and Mads were both going to beat him. Um, Piotr, that was a super close fight as well. But I mean, he just has a way of rallying in the late in these fights and late in the rounds, even, you know, I think he, he won all three of the third rounds in those three fights. Um, he got dropped early in, in a couple of them in the first and the second, and he still was somehow managed to, uh, come back and win a couple of those rounds just because he rallies with with high volume and he's in your face and uh he's just gritty he's got that dog in him you know so i just have to be prepared for that and i and i am and i always i always am you know i was prepared for that with pico i know he he came forward and he had a gas tank for forever you know to go three full fives at a, at a hard pace so i just make sure that i can do that every time because that's the only thing that ever concerns me about about fights is, is getting tired in a fight and having some guy who's who's ready for more trying to take my head off and um i can't you know hold my arms up you know it's in a, this is a scary feeling so it just makes me train 10 times harder and be that much more disciplined to have a smooth weight cut and just so i can go perform because i know if I, as long as i show up and i can perform and i'm in shape weight's all good i mean there's nobody in this division that can beat me so i just need to make sure that all my preparation and focus comes into power prepare my body being healthy dump dumping in the recovery now you know like i'm i'm recovering to almost as much as i'm training i you know with pt sessions massage therapy hyperbaric everything i just invest everything into camp so just just performing showing up and if i show up with me i think it's gonna be an early night and i'm gonna put pedro away you know i think from the feet to the floor i don't see him offering me much outside of just his grittiness and his and his trickiness and his you know unorthodox style it's nearly five years ago to the day, actually, that you lost your very first fight to Alexander Volkanovsky. I think that's the night that we kind of learned how good Alexander Volkanovsky is. Both of you undefeated fighters. Well, he had the one loss of, at 170. Both of you undefeated yeah. featherweights at the time, at least. Um, what made him different from your other opponents? Because, um, of course, he's moving up to lightweight later this week to mm. face Islam Makhachev and try to become a two-division champion. Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was like a big uh, turning point in my career. That's... I was still living and training in Canada with my smaller team and uh, up until that point, because it was, it was working, you know, I was three and on the UFC. Um, after that fight is when I, I made the full move to extreme couture to a bigger gym. First time ever training in like a world-class facility like that, you know, with training partners on in my division on my level in Bellator, UFC, whatnot. So that was like, an, it just prompted me, like I have to get up on, out of my comfort zone if, if I'm going to be competing with guys like this. And then that also goes back to, you know, I, I don't make excuses. That fight was five years ago now, but that was another one of those learning processes of, of showing up prepared. You know, and my weight cut was rough on that one. It was across the world. We fought 9 a.m. local time. It was 
bad wake up, bad travel time, everything out of my element, you know? So I just, who knows how that fight would have went. I just, I really wish I got to, to perform better um, and really feel that fight out, but he's gone. And I mean, if you're going to lose to somebody, that's the guy, you know, he's gone on an unbelievable streak after that. Um, so for me, the, that's just, again, I carry that still that fight with me to today. Like now we're going to Dublin, another hometown guy going to be a time change. It's going to be everything, every out of my element. So I'm preparing ahead of time. I'm going to get there early and have my weight under control. And, and it's just part of the game, you know, but I think me and me and Volk crossed paths at a pretty cool time. And that was my last fight in the UFC. And, uh, I think that's led me to here. You know, I think I'm making a lot more money and I'm, I'm a lot more, I got to mature a little bit more outside of the UFC and brave and come up through the PFL tournament and whatnot and to arrive at uh, Bellator when I, when I did, you know, right in my prime 27, 28. Now, now here I am 30, couple years in four fights into the promotion. And, uh, I just feel like this is my time to get this title and, and it's all coming together now. How do you like his chances against Malkhajev? What do you think he does well that uh, could make it a difficult night for Islam who has really looked untouchable in the last couple of years? Yeah, that, it's a hard one. I mean, I, I have a pretty good uh, understanding of this fight. I trained a lot with Islam. He was out here during COVID when California was all shut down. So that whole team was here training out of the apex and uh, Ali, my manager got me connected. So I was with them for, I think three months, you know, training every single day with that whole team and just a bunch of killers, man. They all do the same thing. Very, very good. So they're constantly getting better at it, you know, doing, you know, competing with each other in the gym every day. There's no easy rounds. So I think that's that it's a stylistically, it's a tough fight for, for anybody, you know, Islam is, um, I think the size, I know that's the narrative going into the fight. And I think that is going to be a big part of it. You know, I think Volk isn't the biggest 45er. Um, he's stocky and he's strong and his stature worked well at 45 because he is, you know, he's a ball of muscle, but now he's moving up. So that's going to be, his strength is going to be equalized to, uh, Islam. Who's not a small 40, 55 or either, you know, that guy struggles to make the weight. He makes it well, rehydrates properly. And it, it's just going to be a huge size advantage. I think that, uh, I don't think Volk's going to be able to keep him off of him. I mean, if he can, that that's, it's going to, we're going to find out, you know, probably the first half of the first round you know how that fight's going to play out um but definitely if if Volk can keep him off of him and, and stay at range and, and pick him apart that, that's his route to win um but if if he can't and, and Islam can close the distance I think it's going to be a long night yeah it's a pretty crazy dynamics because you've got a great volume striker in Volk and a guy who barely takes any strikes in the yeah. if you look at the last six fights I think I think Volkanovski's landed something like 960 significant strikes <laughs> And Islam's absorbed 64 strikes in like the yeah, last six. Like it's just it's a not, crazy dynamic. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how it's gonna it's gonna play out, you know. And one thing with Volk is he can stick to a game plan better than I think anybody that we've seen. You know, he's just very diligent and sharp with his with his movements. No real mistakes anywhere. Um, and he's just yeah, so sound everywhere that uh, it's gonna be interesting, man. I can't wait to see. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see Bellator 291 yourself and Pedro Carvalho as the co-main event as you uh, look to continue climbing the ranks of the featherweight division in Bellator. Uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. It's great to have uh, a Canadian like yourself representing uh, our great country in the sport, especially at such a Thank high you. level. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Appreciate that. Hey, and you gotta you got to help me out here. we got to get a, a Bellator show to Canada at some point, either this year or next. You know, So if you're in a media conference or you're, you're around any of the... the 
the Bellator ups, you got to bring that question up. I want to see their answer, you know, and uh, it's my job. But I know I got to go earn this title shot and uh, be, be a more staple and, and hopefully get this belt. And that'll be enough driving force to bring a show, you know, north of the border. But we got a lot of good talent in Bellator. You know, Aaron Jeffrey, if he can put a few more together, too. And Josh Hill, like Mando Nalo, we got tons of Canadians that um, I think they can tap into this market. And it's a great market to get to get into. And uh, Bellator can can make a little home up north, you know. So that's on us, the media and the fighters. I wholeheartedly agree. It would be great to see. There's so yeah. many venues out here that they could use. Yeah. And they don't necessarily need to go to the, to the Scotiabank Center, but they could go no. to all kinds of different arenas that are uh, in, in the you know, greater Toronto area or, or nearby. Yeah, BC, uh, Quebec, anywhere. Let's, let's, get them, let's get them up here. All right. Next time I speak to uh, somebody from the Bellator Brass, I will fr- certainly bring I probably would have brought it up anyways, but I'll certainly bring there, it up. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Jeremy. Always appreciate all it. Right. Thank you very much. A big thank you to all of our guests, Alexander Volkanovsky, Islam Makhachev, Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett, and Jeremy Kennedy. Thank you to uh, our guests for joining us here on the TSN MMA show. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Always appreciate you for watching uh, or listening to the show on a weekly basis. You can find our podcast wherever podcasts are found, the TSN MMA show. Um, Please go rate and review the show if you get the opportunity. Always appreciate that. All of my work can be found at www.aaron.report. So head on over there and check it out. Until next time, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.